Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture today comes from Luke 12, verses 13 through 23, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to divide, decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you die this very night. But then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. This is the word of the Lord. Rented self-storage facilities generate an average revenue of $38 billion a year in the United States. That's upwards of around 1.7 billion square feet available for rent at 52,000 storage facilities nationwide. Just to give you a little perspective, there are about 14,000 McDonald's restaurants in the U.S., and 52,000 self-storage facilities. About 9.4% of Americans have rented storage facility at an average cost of about $89 per month. That adds up to about $1,068 per year. And more than half of those who rent self-storage spaces for longer than a year, around 65% of those renters have a garage in their home. 47% have an attic in their home, and 33% have a basement. Might it be safe to say that some of us are overflowing with stuff? And if you've seen storage wars, you know that some of these storage units get abandoned, many times because the renter has died, and their next of kin either don't know about the treasure warehousing or did not want it. Almost 150,000, I'm sorry, 155,000 are auctioned off every year at an average cost of $425 per unit. The storage owners are not getting much return on the stuff that they really did not think they could live without, are they? And the folks who stored it up, many of them end up with nothing, except if they're lucky, Dan and Laura Dotson might have auctioned off their stuff in front of a 2.4 million viewing audience lying in bed at 10 p.m., at night. 
That may be a better scenario than having family members argue over what happens with your stuff, however. That's exactly the situation Jesus is confronted with. When we encounter this passage, Jesus is preaching some of the truths that we read in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, only in this case, in the middle of Jesus' teaching, a man shouts out a request like he's waiting to hear Freebird at a Skinnerd concert. And that leads to our first lesson from this morning's passage. Our concerns about money are often different from Jesus' concerns about money. Verse 13, someone called out from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus said, Friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? He said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. If you've ever been around hurting and grieving people, then you've probably come to see that hurting people hurt people. When folks are grieving, they sense a lack of control over their lives, partly because the illusion of control has been shattered by the reality of mortality. Death makes us confront the fact that we are not as in charge as we want to be, and many folks, in light of that uncomfortable reality, start trying to control all kinds of things in order to start making sense of life again. That's pretty futile. But logic doesn't always come into play when people are deeply sad. Their hearts take the wheel for a bit, and the hurt that they're experiencing spills over. One of the ways people try to exercise control is through material reminders of their loved ones, their possessions, or their money. Even people who got along perfectly fine before a loss can find themselves at odd, both trying to accomplish the same thing, but in ways that start to get cross-threaded with one another. You may have seen it happen. People fight over stuff that is not worth the broken relationship, but they can't hear a thing through their broken hearts. Those wounds are hard to reconcile because both parties then start to see the other as selfish and uncaring, when really it's usually just imperfect people trying to figure out how to survive loss. That's a little how I picture this brother as he's asking Jesus to intervene in his family drama. In Jesus' time, the rules and customs around inheritance were fairly clear. Say, for example, you have two sons in a family. The firstborn gets two-thirds of the estate. The secondborn would get one-third. And if that's unfair, you can read in between the lines that the daughters get married off and somebody else's family has the responsibility of taking care of them. That's their inheritance. And so this man asked Jesus, the miracle-working rabbi that some have been calling the anointed one of God, the man asked Jesus Christ to help him out by being a mix of Maury Povich and an executor. Jesus is preaching about how much more God cares for us than the sparrows, and he'll meet our every need. And this guy doesn't interrupt Jesus to ask the living Savior for help to reconcile the obviously strained relationship between himself and his brother, no, he asks Jesus to get him that money. What do you think Jesus is more concerned about? Jesus is concerned about the money. He's concerned that this tool, money, was turning into an idol that can hurt this man's relationship with his brother and probably with his God in the wake of a family tragedy. Jesus just told the man that all his needs would be met. But the man wouldn't, couldn't hear. His anger and frustration and maybe his grief were pulling too much of his focus and it was starting to transform into envy and greed. That concerns Jesus deeply. 
because that will absolutely poison a heart and destroy relationships, even between brothers. And so to help bring some perspective to the situation, Jesus begins to tell a parable. That leads to our second lesson. Good stewardship involves managing God's gifts with an eye towards eternity. Good stewardship involves managing God's gifts with an eye towards eternity. Jesus told the story, A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. He said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, Friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you've worked for? There once was a wealthy man who was near death. He was very grieved because he had worked so hard for the money that he had stored up, and he wanted to be able to take some of it with him to heaven. So he began to pray that he might be able to take some of his wealth with him. Well, sure enough, an angel hears his plea and appears to him. Sorry but you cannot take it with you. The man implores the angel to speak to God, to see if God might bend the rules on this one, just this one time. So the man continues to pray that his wealth would follow him. The angel reappears and informs the man that God has decided to allow him to take one suitcase with him. One suitcase. Overjoyed, the man gathers his largest suitcase and fills it with pure gold bars and places it under his bed. Soon afterward, the man dies and shows up at the gates of heaven and appears to greet St. Peter. St. Peter, seeing the suitcase, says, Hold on, you can't bring that in here. But the man explains to St. Peter that he has permission and asks to verify the story with the Lord. Sure enough, St. Peter checks in, and it's true. He comes back and says, You're right, you are allowed one carry-on bag, but I'm supposed to check the contents before letting you in. St. Peter opens the suitcase to inspect what worldly items this man found too precious to leave behind and exclaims, you brought pavement? It takes a second. It's all right. (laughs) When we think about how our present worries and our present possessions, imagine how the world measures up to eternity. It gives us some helpful perspective. They pave the streets of the new creation with what we find to be our most precious stuff here. As the hymn says, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of God's glory and grace. In the story that Jesus tells, the man with more than he needs tears down his silos to build bigger ones to keep his excess. And then his time is up that very night. And he's called a fool, a person who can't reason, a person who is like an animal, because all the stuff he worked so hard to store for himself, he now no longer owns. He has no say over where it goes or how it's used. I don't think Jesus is speaking out against having savings here. He wasn't advocating for people being a drain on others. But instead, when folks have more than enough for them to reason, what good is this abundance doing? Very specifically, what good is it doing? We don't have to look as far as eternity, however, however far that may be into an unknown future for each of us. 
We can look at the impact of what's been entrusted to us now with an eye towards eternity. There's a verse in Psalm 27 that I love. The psalmist writes, Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. See the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. I see that verse fulfilled in several different areas in my life and in the lives of others. I see it when people discover their matchless worth in the eyes of their God. When they finally have peace in their hearts, when they discover that God has claimed them as his very own through the sacrifice of Jesus, and they never have to worry about whether or not they're good enough to be loved again. I see it in those same people understanding the joy and the freedom they've been given and how it liberates them to truly live. And so they live for Jesus, serving and sharing and blessing others so that more people might know the abundance and the assurance of love that they've experienced in Christ. They understand that every breath and every moment and each good things in their lives are given at the generous hand of God and given to fulfill God's purposes. While we have life, we can experience the joy of fully living in the pleasure of our God. And the impact each life can make when it's fully surrendered to Jesus Christ is so, so powerful. That leads to our third lesson from this morning's scripture. Jesus always connects satisfaction with a rich relationship with God. Jesus always connects satisfaction with a rich relationship with God. Jesus goes on, Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or clothes to wear, for life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Around Labor Day of this past year, my family traveled up to our hometown to celebrate my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. I know that there were a couple of similar celebrations that were taking place within the couples of this congregation. As we were gathered as a family and friends around the table eating and talking, people were asking a lot of questions about how my parents met, what their wedding day was like, and reminiscing about 50 years of life together. In part to celebrate and in part to purge some stuff from their home, they brought down some pretty hefty collections of photos, my parents did. One big stack for me, one big stack for my older sister. My mother does genealogy. She's pretty handy with digitizing things these days, and so they become a part of her digital record before the hard copies are out of the house forever. And as we're looking through some of these photos, we see a lot of evidence of a life surrounded by love, some wonderful memories, some things that we probably tried to forget. I don't know that I've ever had an era of being in pictures where I describe myself as being other than awkward, but there were a few that our children found to be especially hilarious. With each picture, there was usually an event, some sort of story of something that we did together as a family, each one an artifact presenting evidence of a relationship that my parents had built over five decades. I'm sure it wasn't all easy. I know it for a fact, and I have a greater appreciation now more than I did as a child in their home for the type of effort that a healthy relationship requires. In that simple gathering of family, in the stories that we shared, in the photos that we passed around, there was a sense of wealth. I don't know if compounding interest is the right comparison to make for how the relationship has grown over time, but there were stacks 
and stacks of evidence of love that has developed over the years, matured, and experienced so much over time. I would call it a rich relationship, and the richness of that relationship had very little to do with material possessions. It has to do with love and what's been shared over a lifetime together. Jesus is inviting us to a rich relationship with our God, the one he calls Father. It's filled with all kinds of stories about adventurous times. It's filled with all kinds of ordinary and steadfast friendship. There are memories and maybe even some photos of special times and sacred moments in the everyday. There are probably some times we'd rather forget and times perhaps God has already forgiven and forgotten. There are friends gathered around to share in the celebration of this relationship. Friends who look an awful lot like the people that we see around us on Sunday mornings and when we gather with family in the church regularly. There's almost always food. We're pretty good about that. Maybe there's a new generation of folks who have entered into the relationship because of how God has worked through us to share the gift of new life with others as well. It hasn't always been easy because it's not always easy. Healthy relationships take work. But when it comes down to it, there's a rich and full relationship to look upon. But we don't get that joy. We don't get that joy if we tra trade the wealth of a relationship with God for the very temporary pleasures of this world. And Jesus warns us that it can be a very real and blatant exchange. At a time when Jesus is predicting his own death, he tells his confused followers and Mark chapter 8, the crowd calling to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? What good is it if we gain the whole world, every treasure in the world, but we lose our good, our kindness, our generosity, our empathy, or even our eternity. Spoiler alert, it's not good. It's not a fair trade. It's like accepting a vial of sand when Jesus has planned for us to experience paradise with him. Not just in eternity, but with the peace and the freedom, the courage and justice that starts the instant we realize what Jesus has done for us who he desires to be for us, a Savior, Lord, and friend. He wants us to make sure that we get our relationships right. We're to use money and love people, not love money and use people. We get to make sure that our dollars, which read in God we trust, do not become the God in which we trust. We get to take stock of what's most valuable, and not even an appraiser can place a dollar value on the things that matter most. It's the love that we share with others, the love we share especially with God. Jesus will never direct us to find our satisfaction in anything else because he knows there is not satisfaction in anything else. And we'll wear ourselves out the rest of our lives trying to prove him wrong. Or we'll find our greatest joy when we discover that he's right. He's more than enough for us. And so we share Jesus and his kindness just as generously as he has shared with us. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, the temptation in our lives and the world around us is to make sure that we can stack up all that we need 
Lord, we ask that regardless of what we possess, that it wouldn't possess us, that we would experience freedom, that we would know what it is to trust, that we would get the joy in this life of sharing and seeing how sharing your kindness and your love can make a difference. God, we ask that you would remind us of how deeply you love us and on the foundation of your love, Help us to become rich in relationship with you. We thank you that you have led by offering the greatest gift we could ever possibly imagine, the gift of your son, Jesus. What a great foundation for a relationship. What an unmatched love we know. We thank you. And we live our lives in constant gratitude, all in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.